Welcome to the Daughters Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters gather around the mics to share their experiences of God's love through the lens of His sacred word. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter S.T. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. I'm Sister Oriane Pietro Renee. I'm Sister Julie Benedicta. And we are joined by Sister Allison Regina. Hey, welcome, welcome back. Thanks. So today is your day, Sister Allison. You are picking the scripture verse oh for boy. today. You have to say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Sister Allison's day to shine. So um, we are going to start off by making a little observation that we came across when we were listening to somebody else's podcast. Yeah, so so we like to, to start off with a little something that maybe we're watching or listening to or reading or whatever, right? Our little content in the convent segment here. Um, so I thought I would share that the other day I was uh, listening to a podcast and, you know, just like folding some laundry or just, you know, doing some little chores or other in, in my room. And all of a sudden... Father Anthony Sharapa of Clerically Speaking started yelling at me in my ear. At you? At me, specifically. Mm. I don't know that he knew that it was at me, (laughs) but it was at me. Because on their podcast, they were talking about how wonderful producer Nick is. And we agree. Producer Nick is fantastic. Extremely Mm -hmm. wonderful. We appreciate him very much. And they... Father Harrison and Father Anthony were bothered by the fact that we are, in fact, nicer to producer Nick than they are. And not only were they bothered by this, they dared to try to call us to a lesser level of charity. <laughs> and they also spread some disinformation, didn't they, Sistorian? They did indeed. They claimed that there were less yous in our conversation. This is true. Yes. And we have an equal number of Canadians on our cast. We do indeed. Hello. As they do. <laughs> So, fathers, <laughs> we need you to know that, number one, we're not going to stop being nice to Nick. We appreciate Nick. We want to keep Nick around. And maybe, Nick, you should actually maybe start thinking about charging them a little bit extra, considering we make it so much easier for you. We will support your raise from afar, Nick. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, I think that hopefully the the dear priests will um, reconsider their their threats, their uh, admonitions to lesser charity and uh, maybe I think they should just rethink their ways is what they should do, actually. <laughs> so if anyone would like to listen to our delightful two priests, you can find them on Clerically Speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and we do love them. We do. They're our great friends. <laughs> I know much of our audience is very familiar with Father Harrison because he was on last season talking about Mysterion yeah. and the sacramental worldview. And that was wonderful. And um, <laughs> yes, in fact, fathers, we do appreciate our priests who bring us the sacraments and hear our confessions. But... <laughs> Uh, If people need to think less of them because of their actions and because of their behavior, well, that just may be the truth. (laughs) Sister Benedicta ain't having none of it, guys. Not today. uh -uh. (laughs) So that's all. And it's it's funny because I don't actually listen to I listen to so many podcasts that I don't listen to every episode of pretty much any podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just like literally picked this one out of. A hat. The Holy Spirit wanted you to know what was going on. (laughs) Like, I don't think I had listened to them for several months, and all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, hey, I haven't heard them for a while. Let's see what this one is. And it was one from a few weeks ago. (laughs) And had that not happened, 
We would never, we would have, never known. have known how no. maligned we'd been on this on on this what we thought was a friendly podcast. Yeah, called out for a lack of use. Yeah, I know. I'm the just going to throw them in everywhere now. My goodness. <laughs> so, feel free to um, send messages to @fr Harrison on Twitter and let him know that uh, you appreciate the sisters being nice. Anyway, that's my little my little rant. Uh. The joys was, of Catholic community. It was it was very startling to suddenly be be yelled at by a priest. Maybe we need to start listening to all their episodes to make sure that they're not saying anything else about we us. We should. We should start censoring them. Censoring mm. them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because w- what happens if one of the superiors hears? <laughs> they think we're being too nice. I know. And we get reprimanded for being too nice. I suppose that's probably not a problem. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they should. I don't know. I want to find some creative something, (laughs) some kind of comeback. (laughs) So if you have a favorite Catholic podcast that does not happen to be our own, please leave it in the comments. We would love to know. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So without further ado, Sister Allison, you have chosen a really poignant verse, actually, for today. Could you share the verse with us and then maybe why it's so important to you? Sure. It's from John chapter 6. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And really important context, that is Jesus speaking. (laughs) Good to know. Yeah. So I was told that I could pick one verse, but really like this whole chapter, John chapter six is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. Um, Mm. There's just so much good stuff here. And I feel like a lot of this is so important to who Jesus is. Like this is where he's talking about himself as the bread of life. It's like he's speaking about how we receive life through him. I think like besides the Last Supper discourses, this is definitely my favorite. Mm. Um, but one thing that I really love about it is that it's where the word meets the Eucharist. Um, you know, as Catholics, this is really the foundation of a lot of what we believe about the Eucharist. You know, that belief that during the Mass— the bread and wine are actually become actually become the body and blood of Christ. And I think that reading about that in the Bible, where the word of God, Jesus is so present in the word of God, and he's so present in the Eucharist too, that like having both of those things at the same time just kind of makes my brain explode. Like it's <laughs> it's all the Jesus all the time. It's so wonderful. So this is a passage that I've really prayed with a lot throughout my life and that I really enjoy coming back to regularly. Mm. Yeah, John chapter 6 is so rich in general, as you say. And that idea of, you know, consuming bread and wine that is truly the body and and blood of Christ and then having him abide in you, like live in you and have life in you is really mind-blowing. And I think it, it brings us back to this really beautiful understanding of even who Mary is and when people talk about the quote-unquote Marian dimension of the church or the Marian dimension even of our calling, of like being able to hold the life of Christ within us um, is, I don't know, I just find that so humbling, mm-hmm. like so humbling. Yeah, in fact, like for me, as someone who has spent like the last 40 years almost, <laughs> you know, um, wrapped up in the Catholic worldview, um, even when not believing in it, like definitely being surrounded by it, you know, my family, family definitely holding it, but like definitely growing up with it. It's interesting to me to read this passage and to think about like how foreign 
these ideas would have been to the people who are listening to it. Um, so for myself, like as not a first century Jew trying to figure out what he's saying, uh, for me, the part of this verse that actually blows my mind the most is the abiding part, mm. like abide in me and I abide in you. It's like like at this point, I kind of have it figured out what I mean, not figured out because it's still a mystery. Like it's always going to be a mystery how Jesus is present in the Eucharist because we, we're not going to use the word physically present. We're not going to use the word literally present, but we are going to use the word really present mm. and we are going to use the word sacramentally present. And it is a mystery but it's also something that, like, you can kind of get familiar with, like, enough to feel like you're in his presence when when you're around it. Um, but that abiding piece is, like, I don't know, somehow that's that blows my mind. And it just doesn't always totally make sense to me. And, like, even it feels like a very Pauline phrase, actually, because Paul uses the phrase in Christ all the time. And mm -hmm. it feels like that's something that kind of means something similar and uh and it's it's one of those things that i'm still trying to work out exactly what that means like i, I think i can kind of get at it but it, it's another mystery i guess just that i wrestle with i think it's one of those things too that we probably won't fully understand until we're actually in heaven in that that full communion with him like really all the way in him and there's no going back and that's mm -hmm. like the most awesome thing ever. Like, like that's heaven. And like experiencing it on all levels of existence, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> right. But I really love what you said about thinking about it, like what would first century Jews have made of his words? Because mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting that this to me is one of Jesus's mm -hmm. most powerful discourses and it ends in a lot of his disciples leaving him and a lot of people misunderstanding what he was saying or just thinking like, okay, this is, this is too much. It literally says this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Yeah. And he was teaching this in the synagogue in Capernaum and that was his home base like that is where he started out that's where a lot of his first disciples were from so this was like probably the most secure place that he could have preached this difficult sermon and people still left him and it was I was reflecting on how really they didn't have all of the information they needed to actually understand what he was saying. Like the last supper hadn't happened yet. They didn't know about the sacraments and the Eucharist yet, like that, that hadn't been instituted yet. And so really Jesus was giving them all of these pieces of a puzzle and basically just being like, just hold this. You can put it together later, but right now it's not going to make sense, but just mm -hmm. trust me. And I love how the 12 were the ones who stayed with him, even though they didn't understand exactly what he meant either. Like, you know, Jesus says, okay, eat my flesh, drink my blood, live in me and I'll live in you. You got it? And they're like, ah, well, <laughs> I mean, we believe that you're the son of God, so we're going to stick around, but no, we have no idea what you're talking about, to be honest. And that's so honest, but it was making me kind of ponder, like, what is our reaction when Jesus gives us some of the puzzle pieces, but it doesn't make sense at all? Or like mm -hmm. God starts doing something in our lives that we really don't understand where he's going with this or how this could be a good thing or what he even means. And we just kind of have to go along with it until it does make sense, like trusting that God is good, God loves us, and he's going to lead us to where we need to be. And I think you really see that in action through this sermon especially. Yeah, I love that response of Peter when Jesus asks, like, you know, Jesus kind of explains throughout almost the entirety of John chapter 6, he's kind of building up to what he really means. And then he presents this truth of, like, this is true, 
you know, my, the this bread is truly my body. This this um, wine is truly my blood. Like if if I'm saying that this bread is truly my body, and I'm asking you to eat it, it means I'm asking you to eat my body. And if you do, you will have life in you. And what is fascinating to me, because I did not grow up Catholic, this was a verse that I interpreted very differently for a large part of my life. And it was really the moment when I actually finally realized how many people left him, like people who loved him, people who had been following him forever, people from like his home area who respected him deeply. And they were like, whoa, 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 this is one step too far. This is not okay. And he lets them. And not only does he let them when his whole mission was to bring people together, he also turns to the 12 who are meant to like, you know, kind of represent and stand in for the 12 tribes of Israel even like, and he looks at them and says, will you also leave? And Peter's like, I'm not super okay with this either, but like, who else would we go to? (laughs) Like, you have the words of eternal life. And that attitude of like, I'm a little bit freaked out and I don't understand (laughs) but I trust you. Mm -hmm. That attitude, I think, is really kind of what we need is is that radical trust, even when we are freaked out, even when we don't understand. And even like not about just this, but there's many, many, many different reasons and times and moments in our faith life to be a little bit freaked out and Mm -hmm. have to trust him, you know? It's true. One thing, too, I was thinking is like, um, as we were preparing for this episode, I went on our little calendar to figure out like how far out we've recorded, like how many how many episodes we kind of have built out until what point, and just kind of accidentally discovered that this episode's going to be coming out the day before Holy Thursday, mm-hmm. right? So um, it's just so cool. And and just as you were speaking, like I just kept hearing almost echoes of Jesus's language from Holy Thursday. You know, like when one of the best. Parts of the reading, in my opinion, from from that day is the very beginning of the gospel reading is that he knew it was time. He knew his time had come. And it says he loved his own and he loved them to the end. And this is like, like you were saying, Sister Allison, like the the foreshadowing of like, just hold on to this for a little while and eventually it's going to make sense. And he says that to Peter, too. Right. Like even about the washing of the feet, like you won't you don't understand now but you will understand. And he says that in the same gospel passage for Holy Thursday. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting, like, the two things, Jesus' love and our total incapacity to understand what he's doing most of the time (laughs) kind of come together in a really beautiful way, especially around the Eucharist, I think. Mm -hmm. And that love that goes to the end, I think you really see that in the Eucharist, like, Mm -hmm. What more radical act of love could there be that Jesus wanted to stay with us even after the ascension, even even after even today, he still wanted to be with us. And so he literally lets us consume him like we bring him into ourselves in a very physical way through the consuming the Eucharist. And that's just crazy. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's you know, there's no human yeah. love that can go that far or take that form. Like, that's really, he had to be God to be able to even conceive of that, much less carry it out. But really, like, 
whenever we walk into a church and see that tabernacle and know that the Eucharist is being held there, like we know that God is with us. And that's something, that's one reason why I love praying in front of the Eucharist is that like, I know Jesus is there. Like it doesn't matter how scattered my brain is or what's going on in my life. Like if I'm physically in a church, I'm, I'm physically there and Jesus is also there with me and I can trust that. And Mm -hmm. really like he never leaves us. He it's, it's that, radical humility that God has to really empty himself, not just God becoming man, but then God becoming man, becoming bread. Like it's, it's crazy, but he loves us that far and mm-hmm. that love never stops. Our founder was really big too on reminding us that when you go to mass and you consume the Eucharist, then when you leave, you're bringing him physically, like he's in you, you're bringing him out to the world and bringing that grace out to the world. So really we become like living tabernacles, mm-hmm. um, leaving the premises or, or the confines of a church, of church walls, and, and we become those tabernacles out in the world. And I don't think we can really like underestimate or overestimate, I should say, we can't overestimate like how much that means to, to bring him physically out into the world. Um, and also there's a huge responsibility there then too. Like if I'm, if I'm carrying Jesus within me and I forget and I start like yelling at someone who cut me off on the road (laughs) you know (laughs) am I like reflecting that Jesus is within me (laughs) like am I letting people see or feel or hear um there's a really beautiful kind of examination that comes with that but like in a beautiful profound way and as I was reading this I was actually thinking back to um in Ezekiel when when he is asked by God to eat the word he's asked to eat a scroll Mm -hmm which is the word of God, before he goes out to give the word of God. Like God is asking him to hold it within him in a, in a physical way, in a real way. And this was before the incarnation of, this, of the son of God. And to see how that kind of, in a sense, prefigures just like he ate the word so he could go bring it in a, in a especially real way to the people that he was called to go preach to. We are asked to consume the living word so that we can bring him in a very real way, like extra real, even more real than spiritually, just spiritually, like spiritually and physically complete um, to the world and to the people that we are called to preach to and reach out to. And in that, he's also able to abide with other people who might never know that they could approach him in the Eucharist. Yeah, there's like, there's two really major points going off in my head from what you said, like the first is it's the living word that we consume, right? Mm-hmm. Everything else we consume, whether it's vegetables or grain or meat or whatever, has to die for us to eat it. Yes, it's dead. But when we consume the Eucharist, we're consuming something alive. Mm-hmm. Jesus is alive. It's his glorified body. He's present, yes, sacramentally in a mysterious way, but he is alive. And it is his life that gives us life. And like the fact that he's able to abide in us in that way, like there's just something that almost gives me chills about that, that like literally everything else we eat becomes part of us and has to die in order to do that. Mm -hmm. But when we consume Jesus, we enter into his life and we become a member of him, Mm -hmm. a member of his body. So it's like everything is reversed about like the normal, natural way of doing things. It's just like so cool. And um, so that's the first thing. The second thing was that 
was coming to my mind was the idea of like of us being living tabernacles and of our going out into the world and like the idea that like a church parking lot should probably be like one of the greatest paradises on earth, right? <laughs> After mass, but it, we all know that that's not the case. Um, so like, but the thing about that is I was just thinking back to our conversation in the last episode with Sister Christina and thinking about like we alluded to the fact of of Jesus being the face of God's mercy and the mercy of God the Father. But like everything that Jesus did he did it to show us the Father. So he's mm-hmm. showing us who the Father is by what he does. And that's why he gets so frustrated that Philip doesn't get it, you know, like show us the Father. And he's like, have you been with me so long, Philip? <laughs> but he's like, this whole time, you've been with me th- for three years now, bro. And like the whole point has been me trying to show you who the Father is. Like I have come so that you can see the face of the father you know because they really they share one face they are one um and uh and so the idea too that when he says as the father has sent me so i send you that's included in that like we are also to show the love and mercy and face of the father to the world and this is like his way of the eucharist i mean one of the things about the eucharist is that it's his way of giving us the tools that we need to do that job. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just like, ah, so good. <laughs> yeah, it, It's making me think that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything on our own. Like mm-hmm. he really wants to be there with us the entire time. And that includes in any evangelization effort, any sort of public witnessing, like he wants to be there. And the Eucharist is one way he does that. And he does that in many other ways. But... Oh, he tells us over and over again, without him, we can do nothing. Exactly. <laughs> so, and he means like, that. That yeah. wasn't like just exaggeration. No. Like he was being very serious there. That and... wasn't for shock factor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it's hard to, like, I think we hear those words so many times, mm-hmm. or I hear those words so many times that sometimes I can kind of discount them of like, like, I know that, but I'm just going to do this little thing over here and see if it works this time. <laughs> and it doesn't. It never does. If you're considering doing that, don't. It doesn't work. (laughs) But really, like, he wants to be involved. And the Eucharist is one of those ways that he continues to be involved in our lives even today. um, If we let him, if we give him that time and that space to enter into us. Mm -hmm. Um, That saying, you are what you eat is really true. Like, in Mm -hmm. the sense, especially with the Eucharist of, like, if we're nourishing ourselves with the body of Christ, we enter into the body of Christ even more. And it's Christification is what our founder used to call it, of that that process of becoming like Christ, like St. Paul says. I'm pretty sure you are what you eat is a paraphrase of St. Augustine, actually. I will find the quote and I will put it in the show notes because I am like 89% (laughs) confident that that is a true statement. I know in German it's man ist was man ist. It's a pun in German. But I don't know if Augustine knew German, but. It could just be a cool translation. I have a feeling it was in Latin, but yeah, we'll see. I'll find it. It's like these universal truths that kind of make their way into our secular society and people say them. But when you think about the deeper meaning, you're Mm -hmm. like, wow, what does that mean that we are what we eat, especially when it comes to religion and worship like Mm -hmm. the Eucharist? That's what it means. We are we are Jesus when we eat Jesus. And that sounds very extreme when you say it that way, but like we are called to be transformed into Christ and we don't do that through our own efforts. It's. It's him, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's all grace. And I love that. I love that in John chapter six, when he's laying all this out, 
he puts it, he puts himself out there as bread. He doesn't put himself out there as like, I don't know, like some fancy schmancy, like... Filet mignon. Yeah, filet mignon. Like, <laughs> no, he, he literally goes to the poor man's food. Mm-hmm. That's, what he, that's what he chooses. The everyday, run-of-the-mill, poor man's food, working man's food, something that sustains you, something that keeps you going, something that gives you energy, fills your tummy, that takes almost no ingredients to make, you know? And that's what he chooses to become, like the plainest of the plain. And I think that's such a beautiful um, mirroring of how he chose even to come down as a man. He he came down, he didn't choose a special family. He didn't choose a special place, that's for sure. Like throughout the gospel, people keep being like, Nazareth, are you serious? Like, like Hicksville, <laughs> Israel, no. <laughs> like, but he literally chose to come in such a simple way that he makes clear to us that God comes to us in the simplicity of our lives. We don't have to be great. We don't have to be something amazing on our own. He comes and he makes us that thing. And by choosing bread, he chose something that's really universal too. Like we all understand what bread is today Mm -hmm. as much as they did 2000 years ago. And there's some parables where you're like, I don't really know how farming practices worked exactly, (laughs) you know, back then. So like, I'm sure I'm trying to get some of it, but I'm not getting the full context. But like, we know bread. <laughs> like we yeah. know there's people who still make bread all the time, but I'm not one of them. But I, I know how it works, you know. And 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 even wine was something that it was it was easy to keep clean for drinking, right? Like right. It, it it could be mm-hmm. easily be, and and they drink it in a much less concentrated version typically yes. <laughs> at a at a normal meal than we do. But mm. um, so even wine was actually something simple. It wasn't like a a fancy wine, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to me that while while we cannot say that every culture has traditionally had bread in it, every culture at this point is able to understand it. Like mm-hmm. every culture makes something similar to bread, maybe not in the same kind of baking process, maybe not through grains, but every culture has something like that, like an everyday staple that, that isn't necessary for, sustain, for sustaining them or for nourishment. So like everyone can understand why bread? Everyone can understand that. Everyone can understand like how much Jesus emptied himself. Like when Paul says like, no, he didn't, he, he didn't see like equality with God, something to be grasped at, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a man. Like he didn't just take the form of a man. He took the form of like a lowly man. Mm-hmm. He was even like when he was baptized in the Jordan, like that area is a depression in the ground. It's like a low place. He went really, really low. Um, because that's where he meets us at our lows and he brings us up. He builds us up because he lives in us. What are the lyrics, the translation of, um, I'm tempted to just start singing a song and see if that's the right one. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, it's Godhead here in Heineck. I'm pretty sure, uh, on the cross, your, your Godhood God, made no, no sign to men. Hear thy very... Manhood. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So it's a so it's a hymn to the Eucharist, right? So mm-hmm. on the cross, thy Godhood made no sign to men. Here, thy very manhood yeah. steals from human ken. Mm-hmm. Like we can't even see, we can't even see your humanity here. Yeah. Like you've you've humbled yourself so far that even your humanity is hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it seems deep enough to think like you hid your divinity to the point of the cross. Yeah. But now, like holy moly, even further. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that's something we don't explore very much, but we we know from from even historical accounts of crucifixions and even from scripture itself that when someone is crucified, even their humanity is stripped from them. Like we know that Jesus suffered to the point where he was barely recognizable and that that's referenced both in the Old Testament prophecies and in the New Testament exploration um, of his crucifixion. And that is such like a powerful testimony to the fact that he was willing to have even his humanity hidden, his divinity and his humanity, so that like we could rediscover our own in him. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I ever read from John Paul II was the encyclical on the Eucharist in the church. Mm. And um, it's a hard hitter to start with. It was, it would just <laughs> happen to be on a bookshelf. Somebody who had challenged me, knew that I was questioning the faith, was feeling really considering myself to be kind of an apathetic agnostic. Mm-hmm. I was as I would d- define myself and um, challenged me to read John Paul II. And he was still alive. This was prior to his death, uh, but just like very shortly before. I think he died within a year or so afterwards. But um, somebody had challenged me to read him and I felt like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll prove them wrong and then I will have done it and I can like (laughs) brush my hands off and like walk away. Very dangerous. Um, (laughs) It was. And I won't say that the document itself converted me, but what I will say is that it gave me a different understanding of who Christ was Mm. and it gave me a different understanding of what that enormous crucifix at the front of every church I'd ever grown up going to meant. And one of the things about it that really struck me was that John Paul II talks about, and I can't remember exactly how he does it, and I don't know if maybe it was just kind of the Holy Spirit like interpreting it in my mind in a specific way, because every (laughs) time I go through this document, I'm like, I see hints of what I saw, but I can't find like a quote that's like, oh, that must have been the thing I read. Um, But... When he talks about kind of the way God plays with time in the mass and mm. the way that that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is one event that happened in history, but it also happens like in eternity in such a way that like we are in like kind of a way transported to Calvary at every single mass mm-hmm. and every single time we receive communion Every single time we receive the Blessed Sacrament, it is the exact same sacrifice, never ending, never fully consumed, never never runs out, <laughs> the exact same sacrifice that happened 2,000 years ago. And there was something that just really struck me that this really intelligent – I could tell that he was this really intelligent man with like solid philosophy and like solid ways of reasoning was also willing to say, oh, and by the way, we time travel every day. <laughs> And you're like, wait a minute, you know, it's just like, okay, that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy, but also like props for the consistency. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like if there is a way for this to make sense, Mm -hmm. this is the only way that it can make sense. And so that really kind of stuck in my mind and it gave me a totally different understanding. Number one of who Jesus is and number two of what the crucifixion was. Mm. And, um. And so it definitely put me kind of on the path toward conversion. Um, And I don't know, I guess maybe it just opened my mind and my heart to it. But there was just something about that, like, playing with time thing that really intrigued me. And I still kind of love the idea of it. So it's really amazing to pray with that because 
part of the problem, I think, is that Jesus is so hidden in the Eucharist that we really have to try to remember that like he's really there. And that's really what the mass is, is that time travel back to Calvary, like the Mm -hmm. same sacrifice is unbloodily offered on the altar. But we have to work to remember that. Like, it, it doesn't just happen automatically that you walk in and Jesus is like, oh, hello. You're like, no, right. we don't hear him that way now. We don't we don't sense his presence quite that way because he's still so hidden. And really, in that sense, God is respecting our free will of like, we can choose to acknowledge him being there or not, you know, and a lot of people don't like there's a lot of Catholics today who don't really believe in the real presence Um I have one friend who fell away from the church after he was asking all of these questions. He didn't know a lot about the faith. He was asking these questions. And when he started asking about the Eucharist and realized for the first time what the Eucharist really was, like he had grown up Catholic, but never thought about it that deeply. Mm -hmm. When he realized that Catholics are claiming that, no, that is really God. We are really consuming God. Like during the mass, that's really Calvary. He was like, that's too good to be true. I can't believe that. And he left. Mm And to me, that was so sad, but also like I respected that he, you know, couldn't, he couldn't accept it. (laughs) And so he left because that really is, you know, what, what we believe. And it seems too good to be true, but nothing about God is too good because God is Mm -hmm. goodness himself. So yes, it's very extreme. Yes. It it might seem very radical or crazy that God would go to those (laughs) levels and, you know, because it is because it because it is yeah exactly but like that doesn't mean it's not true nothing about god is too good to be true you could say that about everything else that something is too good to be true but not god yeah because he is both goodness and truth exactly and love like he holds all that he defines all those things he is the standard by which they are defined yeah so and and like from our perspective we can talk about like it feels like time travel or we feel it feels (laughs) like too good to be true but from his perspective it's actually just a letting us in to his eternity right to his very being to his goodness Mm -hmm. and i don't know there's just something so incredibly um intimate and vulnerable and beautiful and and there's so many things within us that do actually yearn for those yes. things. Mm-hmm. And so many things within us that kind of prepare us to accept it, but not fully because there's no full, you know, equivalent of that in our in our own lives as as just humans. You know, it has to be something beyond and greater mm-hmm. that meets us. I used to be a really big Doctor Who fan before I entered the convent. And <laughs> when I entered the convent, I stopped watching the show because when do I have time to watch shows now? Not because we're anti-Doctor Who. No, right? not because we're anti-Doctor <laughs> Who. But I grew up with Doctor Who. And I remember the moment that I realized as a young adult that the mass was like the TARDIS. It, it's like <laughs> it travels through Whoa. time. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside because when you're in the Mass, you are joined at the altar by the angels, by the saints, by the Lord himself. Like all of these people are with you that like wouldn't fit in a room normally, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of these people are with you. So really it is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And when I realized that that is kind of in a sense what's happening, I realized that even this like fantastical show, the longest running sci-fi show in history, had been preparing my heart to understand something mind-blowing about the mass and about the reality of the Eucharist. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... That thing that came out of the mind of some brilliant person who wrote this show, like, was actually even in them a seed of being able to understand this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Jesus can really speak through everything. <laughs> Even Dr. Hoop. <laughs> yeah, really. It's amazing. The seeds of the gospel are everywhere if you look for them. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's, there's a line in Encanto, too, where like one of the brand new um, bedrooms opens up and it's like this huge <laughs> jungle scene. And the, the little girl that's been kind of like this funny little character all little cameo character all through the through the movie she pops in and she goes it's bigger on the inside (laughs) just like her (laughs) and it's funny because every single time i've seen anybody like react to this movie or something they're like that's what i'm thinking those are my thoughts exactly (laughs) yeah i think that reality of our faith though that it's always going to be bigger on the inside and Mm -hmm. that's that's true for the mass but it's also true like if you start praying with scripture you can go back to that same scripture passage every week for like the rest yeah. of your life and still keep finding new things. And like normal sentences don't work that way. <laughs> like, it's, it's because it has God behind it and mm-hmm. he's infinite. So everything about the faith, everything about Jesus has that infinity aspect to it that like yeah. he's really inviting us to enter. And heaven is just that going on forever in a beautifully infinite way, like into God's heart forever. You know, yeah. there's not even words to really describe what that experience will be like, but we know that it's going to be really, really good. Like that's, you yeah. can trust that. Yeah. And it's like, again, like we can say it's going on forever, but actually it's entering into his reality of, of eternity, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not like, it's not like serial time forever and ever because, in some ways, that could be torture, right? Right. Yeah. Like there's Twilight Prolonged Zones about existence. this. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. Twilight yeah, Zone episodes about this. Like just ex- existing offering. forever is not the thing that our heart longs for. No, it's not. It's, it's something totally different, and we can't quite imagine it exactly. Um, but but at some point, he will show it to us. Mm. There's, there's that line in um, The Last Battle of the Chronicles of Narnia where they, they get to the other side. They get to heaven. And... I forget who says this line, but they say like further up and further in. Like you can't you can't plummet the depths of this place. You cannot plummet the depths of Mm -hmm. God's heart. Like there's Mm -hmm. always more. There's always Mm -hmm. more. Yeah. And that it's it's dynamic. Like you're always further up and further in. It's like a constant movement. So it's not like eternity is just standing still, like, okay. I made it to the endless day, and now I'm going to sit here forever and ever and ever and ever, and that's just eternity. Like, no. <laughs> and you hope you seat. got a good seat in the stadium. Yeah, right, right. right, exactly. Like, yeah. no, it's not. It's We're actively involved in in that heaven, you know, mm-hmm. that, that is mm-hmm. God. He's always drawing, because God is dynamism. God is is that. It's being, but not static being. It's aliveness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Let's go to heaven, guys. <laughs> Sounds really good. Maybe Live not today, heaven. though. Well, okay, when God wants to, we can. When, just one quick last thought is just like our Pauline charism is so completely wrapped up in the Eucharist. That sometimes I think um, like the adage about like fish not thinking about the water. Like mm. sometimes I think we can, uh, as sisters who make our several hours of time in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day, um, we can kind of almost forget like what it is that we have in front of us. And we can almost forget the gift that we have that not everybody has Jesus under their roof with them. Um, And and not only the opportunity, but the expectation that we work time into our day to be with him. Um, It's such a gift. 
and and it really is like the center of our spirituality. So it just uh, I don't know. It just occurs to me to kind of I don't know somehow want to communicate some gratitude for that, or just kind yeah. of like the beauty of that, and and also just the fact that like that's where we bring every single one of our listeners every single day. Like when we go to pray, we're praying for all of the people who are affected by the work that we do in the publishing house, with the podcast, with videos, with whatever whatever it is that we do. Um, we really do do bring you all to prayer and and we bring you before him um, every single day. And if we know your names, we say them by name, you know? Um, and if not, like, he knows who you are. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just something really powerful and beautiful. And uh, I decided to share that, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so maybe we can all kind of share one takeaway um, from this first or from our conversation. And if you're listening in on this, if you have a takeaway, feel free to send it to us as well. It can be your kind of comment. I think my takeaway is Jesus is my favorite person in the whole universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a newsflash. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, but just appreciating it on a, a deeper level, like stopping and re really reflecting on this, the gift of his word in the Eucharist, like what that really means. Like, yeah, like Sister Benedicta was saying, I just feel so much gratitude for what God did for us by by giving us this great gift. And I kind of want to go sit in chapel now for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> yeah. For me, it really is. It's bigger on the inside. Like <laughs> his heart is bigger on the inside and we enter into it and we can only go deeper and deeper. Um, and he invites us in and his desire that we be there. Yeah, that's something I'm going to be sitting with uh, probably throughout the Easter season. I think it's, for me, it's my desire for other people to be able to encounter this this gift of abiding, um, of having Christ abide in them in the Eucharist, um, and really kind of extending that invitation to anyone who may not have ever heard it before and creating a space of encounter for them. Um, if they've never been in a church or if they've received the Eucharist but never really realized who they were taking in. Take your takeaway. I want to take your takeaway. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we can share the takeaways. So um, I pulled up the collect for the Mass for uh, Holy Thursday, the Mass of the, Lads, the, the, Mass of the Lord's Supper. Um, and I thought maybe we could just use that as our closing prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O God, who have called us to participate in this most sacred supper, in which your only begotten Son, when about to hand himself over to death, entrusted to the church a sacrifice new for all eternity, the banquet of his love, grant, we pray, that we may draw from so great a mystery the fullness of charity and of life, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Mary, Queen of the Apostles, pray for us. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. From all sin, deliver us, O Lord. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can always send in your reflections. We love to hear them and we love to share them. And if you get a chance today to extend an invitation to someone to really encounter Christ in the Eucharist, go for it. Don't be afraid. Thank you so much and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. 
You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.